0: This COVID thing kind of shakes everything up, doesn't it? I mean, there's nobody sitting where you typically sit. I mean, everybody's sitting somewhere else. So that's kind of cool. Uh, We're looking at Ephesians 3. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there, Ephesians chapter 3. We're working our way through Ephesians. There's six chapters here, so it's a six-part series. Each week we're looking at a different uh, chapter in Ephesians and we're, we're doing this because I was aware that during the, this uh, quarantine, when we weren't able to come together for church and we were doing it online, uh, I noticed a, a whole lot of people were posting things on Facebook about how the government has shut down church. Uh, and I, I thought to myself, nobody shut us down. We're trying to keep each other safe. But the, the church is not a building. It's people. It's not a building, so the government never shut the church down. The church continued to thrive. But I thought, maybe people just don't have the right concept of what church is. So the book of Ephesians is what Paul had to say about the church. And so I thought, let's, let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to grassroots. Let's see what Paul says in the book of Ephesians about the church. So we're calling this... Ephesians, rediscovering church. What is it? So we're in chapter 3 here. And uh, I, I went through this, and I came up with three th- summary thoughts of what he says about the church in chapter 3. And then I went back through it again, and I thought, okay, now what is the one, what is the central theme? What, is, what kind of is the hinge for everything else In chapter 3, and I, I think it's down here in verse 10, where he says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Through the church. The church is the vehicle. The church is the hub of what God wants to do. It's not about a bunch of independent Christians going our own way. The church is when we pull together. It's when we organize ourselves. It's when we form common strategies and we work together with those strategies. The church. So let's uh, let's get into our study this morning. Uh, Trying to be real practical, we're going to start in verse one and read through verse six. And this is the first paragraph or the first summary thought that Paul says here in chapter three. So let's. Let's read this. I'm going to start in verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Taking that whole thought together, we learned this about the church. And this, if you want to write, take notes, you can write this down. We understand the mystery of God's plan. God's plan to pull people together. It's a mystery. Nobody understands how it works. Nobody understands why it works. It just works. It's a mystery of God's plan. We understand that mystery. Now, obviously, we wouldn't need leaders if we really all understood it. So my task today is to help us all understand this mystery together. Two phrases I want to draw out of that paragraph. The first one is the administration of God's grace. You know what administration means? The root word is ministry. It's how we dole out or how we we uh, make things happen in the church. It's the administration of God's grace. It is not the administration of God's rules, God's laws. It's the administration of God's grace. That doesn't mean his rules aren't important, but it's not the church's job to put the to to put a list of thou shalts and thou shalt nots together. That's what they did in the Old Testament. What the church's job today is, is to offer grace, God's amazing grace. The rules bind people up. We want to reach people with the good news. We need to be reaching outside of our walls. I think we would all agree with that. We need to be reaching out to help people get their life set free, get... See, people get delivered. But if what we say here is all about the rules and how you should behave, then everybody else on the outside who hasn't come to faith in Christ yet, they're not interested in it. But if what we have to minister is God's amazing grace, His favor for people that don't deserve it, if that's what we're ministering, if that's what we're doling out, if that's what we are here to do, then everybody should be interested in that. But why aren't there, why aren't there more people flocking to churches? Because they think it's all about the rules. And they don't want to be put in a box. They don't want to have this list of rules because then they feel guilty because they're not perfect. But the, our message ...is about the good news, the grace of God, that we were sinners, and he sent his own son to go to the cross to pay the price for sin. He who had no sin paid the price for sin, so that those of us that do have sin can be forgiven. Amen. This is good news, church. This should get us excited. This, this is our ministry. This is the administration of God's grace. And the second phrase I want us to see in that paragraph is the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. The world doesn't understand it. Can you remember in your life when you didn't understand it? I spent 24 years of my life not understanding it. I mean I I knew the Bible stories But I didn't understand the mystery of Christ, what he wanted to do in this world, how he wanted to make this world a better place, how he wanted to change our lives so that we can be administrators of his grace. So, did you notice, uh, I, I put emphasis on it, I hope you caught it, three times the word together was used in that paragraph I just read. First was heirs together. You know what an heir is? An heir is someone who's going to inherit something. You can reject the inheritance, you know. You don't have to take it. You can't reject it. Somebody else can take it. But I want to be an heir. You can be an heir. God's got a promise he wants to put into your life into your hands we are heirs together no matter what our background we are heirs together we have the same inheritance coming to each of us this is good news secondly he says we are members together of one body one body now I'll use my own body as an example I have different parts members of my body I have an ear that you see all the time. I also have a toe that you don't get to see very often. Or shoes. But you know as well as I do, I have other parts of my body that are internal. Like a spleen. A bladder. Lungs a heart. I have these organs on the inside. Nobody sees them. Out of sight, out of mind. Nobody thinks about these internal parts. But how could you survive if you didn't have those parts? Which is more important, my ear or my spleen? You see, all these parts are equally important. And we are the body of Christ. And every last one of us that's in the body of Christ has an important role to play whether we're an external part or an internal part. We need one another. If the church is an organization, it's easy to leave it. But if the church is a body, you die if you leave it. Understand that? You shrivel up, dry up, and die on on the inside. We need each other. We need this connection. Even if we can't meet together, this is why we did online church. We connected with folks online because they couldn't come. Because we knew we needed this togetherness. We need to stay together. And the third one is, we are sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. He's given us a promise and we're sharers. We share in it together. This togetherness is really important when it comes to the church. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a sad commentary in our times that there are so many people that will tell you they believe. They will tell you they're Christians. They will tell you when they die, they're going to heaven. But they have no desire to be connected in a church with brothers and sisters because they don't understand the mystery of Christ. It's a body thing. We need each other. We function in this world better together. Amen? Amen. All right, here's the second paragraph I want us to see. uh, It starts down here in verse 7 and goes through verse 13. He continues that thought, and he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least, of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through him, excuse me, in him and through faith in him we may approach god with freedom and confidence i ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory so the first the first paragraph there we're going to summarize by saying we understand the mystery of god's plan the second paragraph we could summarize it by saying we recognize the church is the vehicle to change this world. It's the church that's the vehicle. Not a bunch of independent, lone-ranger Christians all doing our own thing, but it's working together in harmony, moving toward a common direction, a common goal. Five phrases I want to pull out of this text. Here's the first one. It's in verse 9. To make plain to everyone... Paul said, this is his responsibility to make plain to everyone, not just a certain group of people, everybody. For us, everyone includes people in other cultures, in other countries, people that live on the other side of the tracks, people not just like us, everyone. Then the second phrase I want us to see is he says, through the church the church is the vehicle not one particular church but a body of believers that come together and function together and use their gifts and talents to build up one another that's what he's talking about through the church can be known the manifold wisdom of God you know what that word manifold means Many-faceted. Or literal. The literal translation is many-colored. Many-colored. That's interesting. A color. The many-colored wisdom of God. It's many-colored because He gives us wisdom to know how to deal with spiritual enemies. Like I believe COVID-19 is a spiritual enemy. Yeah, it's just natural, but there's... I know where it came from. That's a spiritual enemy. That's right. But it's also wisdom to know how to deal with our spouse. It's also wisdom to know how to deal with that knothead we have to work with all the time. How do we deal with these conflicts and problems we find ourselves in? It's wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. We need to get a hold of some of that wisdom. Wisdom. Knowledge is one thing. Wisdom is something entirely different. I need some wisdom. Amen? Here's the third phrase. According to his eternal purpose. Ah, so we learn here, God had a purpose from the get-go. From the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he had a purpose. And his purpose is the same today as it was back then to raise up men and women who are his representatives in this world. People who get, have their lives together when there's a lost world that doesn't. He's looking for people that will find redemption, not just spiritually, but also redemption in the natural. You know, how do I redeem my broken life? His purpose never changes. He's still looking at bringing healing into people's lives. So the church, which is you and I functioning together, has always got to be about helping somebody else's life be better. It's always investing in them. Here's the fourth phrase. In verse 12, he says that we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Approach God. You see, historically, people had this idea that God was angry. And that God was a a mean judge. And anything bad happens came from God because he's angry at us. It was this attitude of anger. He's a mean, mean God. And we have to somehow make some kind of a sacrifice to appease this angry God. But for a Christian, we know that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God when he went to the cross representing us. He paid the price. God's not mad at me anymore. So because He's not mad at me, I don't have to be afraid of Him. So I can approach God with confidence anytime I want. And He's just waiting for me to come close. He doesn't answer my prayers because I'm thinking of those prayers. It's when I draw close to Him And voice my prayers that I get an answer. Okay. And here's the fifth phrase. He says, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings. You see, here's the problem. The Apostle Paul was their model. He is living his life showing them how to be an overcomer. How to be victorious. And they're watching him because he's the representative of God. And then the cops come and arrest him and put him in a dungeon. And everybody looks at that and they've lost their model. Causes a lack of faith, a lack of confidence in people. But he says, don't be discouraged Because I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here because I was investing in you. That's why they arrested me. And let me just project that back to you. Don't be discouraged because of your sufferings. We have redemption, but we live in a fallen world. Things aren't going to go your way all the time just because you're a Christian. As a matter of fact, you're going to have a whole lot of battles that you have to fight a whole lot of things to overcome but you are called to be an overcomer you can do this just because you're suffering today doesn't mean you're going to be suffering next month or next year just hang on hang on God's going to take you through to the other side don't be discouraged because of your sufferings which takes us then to this third paragraph I want us to see As he continues to talk about the church, we're jumping, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That tells me the Apostle Paul sees that we can have a little bit of Christ or we can have a lot of Christ. And his prayer is that we get a lot of him, that we get filled up. Because we're not going to be victorious if we have a little bit of Christ in our life. It's only when we're full, full, The reason we come together in a worship service like we are right now is so we can get filled up, filled up with the word, filled up with worship, filled up with the presence of God. Whether we feel it or not, God is in this room, this place. Okay. So the third point, that paragraph, is we grasp the measurement of the love of Christ. This is what church is. It's people that grasp, understand, get a hold of, get their hands on the depth, the length, the width, the height of the love of God. How do you measure the love of God? As a matter of fact, that's not a good question for us. Because our our definition of love as humans comes from conditions. I'll love you if you love me. It's all conditional. That's the way humans work. It's conditional love. But God's love is unconditional. And we have to understand this. God has so much love for us. He's got a big dream for you, a big dream for me. And I have not arrived at that dream yet. And you haven't arrived at yours either. God's still doing a work in you because he loves us. And that's important to know because sometimes we mess up. We blow it. We fail. We don't handle life situations very well. And so our human mind says, well, that tells me God doesn't love me anymore. God won't love me if I do these kind of bad things. His love is immeasurable. It's limitless. Just because you messed up has no effect whatsoever upon God's love for you. Amen. It's like a little child. You love a little child. It's your child so much hope, no matter what they do, doesn't affect your love for them, right? It's your kid, no matter what they do, disappoints you, makes you mad, but you never stop loving. That's God's love. Times a thousand so five phrases we see here in this one in this paragraph here's the first one he says in verse 14 I kneel before the Father kneel what does kneeling represent? represents a couple things Uh, we typically in our culture we think of kneeling getting down on your knees to talk to God in prayer You, you kneel down by your bed before you go to bed and say some prayers that's kneeling is symbolic of prayer but it's also symbolic of something else. Submission. When people would go before the king in the old days, they always bowed the knee to show submission to the king. I think maybe we'd get more of our prayers answered if we'd come with a humble, submissive attitude than if we come like we're, like we're equal with God. A little bit of submission goes a long way. A little bit of humility here's the second phrase i want us to see Uh, in verse 16 he says he's praying that he god may strengthen you with power through his spirit it's through his spirit i was raised in a church that never talked about the spirit the word was never I, i i heard the word but i never saw any teaching about it never heard that it was almost something you wanted to forget about because you couldn't understand it, so let's just not deal with it. Yeah, we'll focus on God the Father, the Creator, and God the Son, Jesus the Redeemer, but the sanctifier is the Holy Spirit. We don't understand that, so we won't talk about that. We'll just kind of hide that. But it's through the Spirit that the power of God is manifest in our life. We have to have the spiritual connection with God. So that's, that's a positive thing, not something to be ashamed of. That he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit. And the third phrase is in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That he can actually dwell in your hearts. We, we often talk about uh, Jesus lives in my heart. And I, I remember as, as a kid... How can Jesus live in my heart? I, I thought they said he was sitting at the right hand of the Father. Well, it's the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ that lives in me, in my heart. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, I have no control over the Spirit coming into my life. What I do have control of is faith. I can determine the measure of faith that I have. I can do things To express the faith that I have. And the fourth phrase there in verse 18 is that we have the power to grasp the measure of the love of Christ. How do we measure the the height, the depth, the width, the length? How do we measure the love of Christ? In our lives, we need to grasp this. Paul says, You need me to keep reminding you. Paul's not around anymore, so now you need Pastor Deal reminding you, reminding you how big, how deep, how high, because we'll never grasp that measurement. And then the last one I want us to see is uh, in verse 19 and to know this love. He wants us to know this love. That's that's not a, a mind thing. We need to know it. It's the same concept as Adam and Eve in the garden. The Bible says Adam knew Eve and she conceived. It's that personal intimacy. He wants us to have that kind of personal intimacy with Jesus so that he can put a seed inside of us and it will conceive and our whole life takes on meaning our whole life takes on a purpose God wants to do that with every one of us somebody say amen Amen. now there's one more paragraph real brief and I want to summarize it with this I want to conclude verse 20 he says now to him who is able everybody say he is able Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is chapter 3. Now that's not the end of Ephesians. He says amen, but there's more to be said. But I want us to uh, just want to tell you back during the Great Depression, there was a farmer down in Texas named Mr. Yates. He could barely pay his bills, just struggled along, thought he was going to lose his farm to bankruptcy. And then some big shots, city people came out to him and said they had done some tests and they think under his farm might be some oil and they wanted permission to drill for oil and they expected to go really deep. He gave him permission. They drilled and at a very shallow depth they hit oil. A huge oil field and Mr. Yates became a billionaire. Now, he had all that oil under his farm before they discovered it. He just didn't know it. He had a wealth, a wealth underground. He just didn't know it. Once it discovered it, it became a reality. Here's here's how that applies to all of us. There is a wealth. There is a wealth in our lives. Right there. We just need to tap into it. God's wisdom is so great and so vast, we just need to tap into it. I'm saying that for you, every one of us. Let's grab a hold of it. Let's seek it out. God's got something special for your life and mine. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together because we're going to kind of wrap this thought up with a song we're going to sing together.